Welcome to episode five of Leading Insights. Today we're joined with by Safia Qureshi, who is the Director of Evidence at Healthcare Improvement Scotland. Welcome, Safia. Hello, it's nice to be here. Thank you very much for inviting me on. You're welcome. Lovely to have you. So we were wondering if you could start by telling us a little bit more about your current role. Yeah, so um, Director of Evidence at HIS, Healthcare Improvement Scotland. So my responsibility is to produce evidence-based advice, guidance and intelligence for NHS Scotland. Um, advice that's independent, uh, that's very important. So the sort of things we do range from um, things that people are hopefully familiar with, like um, evidence-based clinical guidelines that are produced by SIGN. Uh, we do um, new medicines appraisals uh, through Scottish Medicines Consortium. We give out advice on antibiotic stewardship through the Scottish Antimicrobial Prescribing Group. Um, we are involved in the development of standards and indicators for services. And um, so through to things like uh, technology appraisals that's run by the Scottish Health Technologies Group. So that's a, that, in a nutshell, that's what we do. And tell us a little bit about your career journey, about how you got there. Um, so I was looking back, uh, I, I think in this room, thinking it's such a bizarre mix of, of fluke and fortitude. And and then when you look back, you think, well, I've ended up here because um, it's the best place for me to be. So that felt quite nice, actually. So I've appreciated the chance to, to, to have a think about that. Um, so would you like me to run through my career journey with that? Yeah. Yeah, that'd be great. Okay. So... I started out um, training as a scientist. I did a PhD in reproductive biology um, that I really enjoyed and got a lot from. And I had a couple of years as a postdoc. And then like lots of people realise that that's actually a terribly um, insecure uh, career path unless you're absolutely brilliant. And it wasn't something that I felt confident um, about being a a, a long-term career. So I did a complete switch and joined the NHS management training scheme and learned a whole new set of skills, which was a, a lot of fun. Um, so my first proper job really was with um, Sign. I've mentioned them already, so I have done a little bit of going full circle. Um, I joined them at a great time. They were part of the Royal College of Physicians of Edinburgh then, and it was just as they were starting to grow and, and expand and, and have a bigger influence in um, uh, the way that healthcare was delivered. So that was really, really interesting. From Sign, I went to join the um, Scottish National blood transfusion service again uh, had some great opportunities um, to do things there from there I went along to um, the Golden Jubilee National Hospital um, and worked as their director of quality innovation and people left there to come back to join National Services Scotland which SMBTS was part of and did some work with them on the public health reform and from there joined Healthcare Improvement Scotland and, and came back to working with SIGN so there is a bit of a, a there is a bit of a loop in there, and, that, and there's some common threads that run through the jobs I've had. I was thinking about that and thinking there's there's two main themes for me. There's there's one around evidence and science, and there's one around change. Fantastic! What a career journey! What a career journey! How how does your background uh, in academia affect your leadership style, and how do, how do you approach problems with that in mind? So I really love this question. Um, I found it um, very, very fascinating to think about this. And I think it's been quite revealing. And it also made me realise how much I owe my PhD supervisor. So I'll have to get back in touch um, and say thank you. I can see now what an influence he's had. Um, 
Yeah, it's interesting. Some really, really obvious elements. Um, so there's obviously, as a scientist, you have that structured approach. You have to take a logical and analytical um, uh, perspective on everything. There's a, a, a very defined question, research question that you start with, and then your methodology is clear and you, you think about all of that in advance. And I can see that that's definitely fed into the project management roles and program management roles that I've had. So I guess it's given me a problem-solving approach that I really value. I see myself as a problem solver, and I and, and I get a lot of personal validity from you know um, from a sense of achievement from being able to solve problems. Um, it's sometimes given me an assumption that the world is logical that has got in the way. So uh, my perspective might be that in order to do X, I need to do Y. And actually, I've learned over many years that it's usually much more complicated than that. And that sometimes the simple simplicity of that starting approach helps but other times it's really got in the way um i thought you know reflected on how scientists um you you're part of a team you may work in a small group or you um, or be part of a big program that has a, a common concern or, or, or common goal but there'll be some very very specific issues that are your research questions they belong to you and I think that so from very early on that's given me a very powerful sense of responsibility and a work ethic that you know it's, it's a bit like having your own business I think that if I don't put the graft in and if I don't make this happen no one else is going to do it for me and, and that's it's been interesting to think about that I hadn't really um, thought that through before so that autonomy is something that I've had from an early stage of my career, and I really value it. Um, and again, I've had to learn that just because it's something that I like and that I expect, either my circumstances, the position I'm in might not allow that. And that's sometimes been something I've had to grapple with, or that I've worked with people who don't like that and, and do need a bit more of, um, you know, they, they want to have, they want to be part of a team in a way that I have maybe not always needed to. I think it's given me a lot of comfort with uncertainty. I mean, it's almost your reason to be as a scientist. You know, your starting point is that you don't know everything and you don't know what's happening. You don't know why it's happening and you're excited to try and find out more. Um, so I, I wonder if that's why I've always been a bit more comfortable with change than some of my colleagues. Uh, I guess that's chicken and egg. Is that why I wanted to be a scientist in the first place? I, I don't know. Another thing I think I've learned from science is um, you always, as a scientist, have a really clear vision and purpose. And that's something, again, that's become very important to me. You know, your research aim is always clear. So the reason why you're doing something for me, that matters. Um, communication, scientists have to, I mean, they have this nerdy reputation, don't they, as kind of, you know, everything's very technical and, um, and, and very hidden behind language. But actually, you have to learn to present your ideas again from a very early stage and in lots of different ways so as a written paper in mean, short form or long form or um, uh, talking to people and you have to learn to tell a story and I think that's crucial you know that's that's something that resonates very strongly now and as a scientist you might be telling a scientific story but but that the, the beginning the middle and the end is is important um what else community teams and communities so as a scientist it's the only job I've ever had where twice a day everyone stops and goes off and has a coffee together. And it's something that I really miss in other jobs because what that gives you is a real sense of community. You bond, you make good friends, but you also, you know, you talk about your problems, you share insights. It's the quickest way to benchmark an idea to see what's already been done before and to find a, an alternative perspective on something that you're struggling um, with. So I think I miss that. And in various jobs, I've tried to replicate that. And it's never quite happened because 
outside of science people have this guilt about stopping and taking a bit of time to think so I'm going to take that away from this podcast and try it again a bit more harder to get that that um going with my teams and the other thing the last thing I thought about was time as a scientist you have time to think and to think in in, in, in a lot of depth and with a lot of um you know, just concentration about maybe one thing at a time or one set of issues at a time. And again, we don't give that enough value sometimes in the health service. We're always rushing to the next meeting or the next issue or the next problem. So um, so that, 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 that's what I think I got from science. Quite a lot, actually. It's a lot. There's a lot of lessons yeah. in there. So yeah. you're, you're a director of evidence in an era that we're trying to grapple with a disease that was only really declared by the WHO just over 130 days ago. How do you approach that, the resulting lack of direct evidence about this particular virus with your teams, considering you've already told us about your your role and sort of independent advice and policy? Yeah, so definitely something that we um, could have struggled with. But I think the answer to your question starts more than 130 days ago. So I have been in post about 10 months I think it is um and one of the things that I'd started to think about beforehand was um what evidence is and how we use it and why we use it um so um it's kind of a bit of a history lesson before I answer the, to, to be able to answer the question in full so and I'm going to focus on guidelines but because that's you know that's where I started um but but it applies across um, all of the different elements of the evidence directorate. Um, so can, you know, 25 years ago, evidence-based medicine um, really had to prove itself. Um, it needed to be accepted as a way of doing things, as a change from how things had been done before. So there was a lot of work around validating the approach that we were taking and recognising the need to, to have this new approach. So um, as an organisation um, and all the different historic parts of our organisation, We've really invested a lot of time and thought into um, the best methodological approaches to maximise validity and, um, you know, to justify the influence or the, or the recommendations that we might be making and, for, and, and to, for people to feel comfortable that there's a solid foundation to the recommendations we're making or the approaches that we're taking. So, so even before COVID, um, it, you know, was on the horizon, it had been in my mind that we needed to think differently, that, you know, the way that we live our lives has changed. Uh, that requirement for constant reassurance around validity has maybe become something that we've internalised and the rest of the world doesn't doesn't need it anymore. So as individuals, we do things differently. We live at a completely different pace. We've got access to a much wider range of uh, information sources as an individual. So... As an organisation and as an evidence director, we need to catch up with that a little bit and we need to, to, to think differently. So I, you know, in a way, I was, we had started to think like this anyway. So when COVID came along, it was a little bit easier for us to be braver and say, we are going to have to park some of our anxieties around methodology and validity and recognise that this, this is what the service needs at this time is the best that we can do with the information that we have. Our sources of information will be different. We'll be okay with that. Um, we'll be open and transparent as we always are around the caveats, but we'll do we'll recognise the service needs and we'll respond to that quickly. And you know, it's been absolutely brilliant because 
we've learned quickly and we've become as an organization a bit more comfortable with the uncertainty and a bit more um able to say what the key crucial parts of our methodology was what is it that's going to still give the validity that people need in this circumstance and so i think we'll be in a much better place to to be able to flex our methodology to respond to needs as needs emerges um so i'm glad that we'd started to think about that beforehand but i think it's really helped us focus on need and why we do what we do and less on how we do what we do so I think it, um, we'll get really valuable learning from this. And I hope that the service that we're providing during this period is, is giving people some confidence, um, some information to help them make decisions, uh, and also to know that they can come and ask us for help and, and we'll be able to respond in different ways now. So Safia, while you were working um, for the Scottish National Blood Transfusion Service, you helped to deliver the Jack Copland building, um, which has now gone on to win several design awards. Congratulations. <laughs> um, so we're, we're building a new children's hospital here in Tayside and there's several other building projects going on across Scotland at the moment. What was it like leading on a construction venture like that? The easy answer is terrifying. <laughs> so it was, um, <laughs> It was something that was completely new. Um, so it was also extremely exciting and an absolute privilege and one of the highlights of my working career. I think I, I loved it. Um, um, it was hard. It was really hard work. It was one of those situations where you think I am two pages ahead of everybody and I need to go home and do some work, <laughs> work quickly to make sure I'm still two pages ahead um, tomorrow. Um, there's a theme for me that's coming through about vision. Um, SMBTS had a really clear vision of what they wanted to do and what the building would do for them, um, and we and, and that so much flowed from that. So having a really clear idea of what you want your new hospital to do and why, um, and but also um, thinking one of the things that we really got was it's not about the building; it's about the people that will be in the building and what you're going to do when you're in, in the building, and not to lose sight of that. So, when you start getting into the details of the ME and people are, are talking to you about um, toilets, <laughs> you know, and flushing and Legionella and pipes and all this sort of stuff, that all of that will help you deliver a service for people, and that's the thing to remember. So. What an interesting lesson that we had was we worked with Architecture and Design Scotland on um, trying to capture the vision um, to help our contractors understand what we wanted. And at the start of that interaction, we were very much focused on to the the new headquarters for SMBTS is a, a manufacturing and processing centre. So, from one in one way, you can see it as a factory where you know the the raw product goes in and it's treated and tested and then. A blood that safety use comes out at, at the other end so we focused on processes and ads said to us architecture and design scotland said what about people and we we're like yeah yeah they, they do this they know what to do they're fully trained you know and, and they're like what about their environment what about your people what do you want the building to bring joy to the people and sort of like what pardon me <laughs> um, and they made us do an exercise and one of the things that really stuck in my mind was they looked around the buildings that we were in which were you know had evolved were um, old buildings and they were saying we're looking in your offices a lot of your staff are in offices with no windows and somebody actually said to me I wouldn't keep a plant in the offices that you're keeping your staff in and that was light bulb moment absolutely chimed these are 
people are going to spend a huge amount of time in it here. They need to be inspired by what they see around them and they need to feel valued. And if we get the building right, it can do those things too. So that was um, something that that really struck home to me. And I think that that's, that's why I think we won some of the awards that we've won because that is incorporated. It's a, tr it's a functional building. It does everything it needs to do from a regulatory perspective, but it also people love being in it and people get, a kick from being in it and um, it, it's a really lovely place um to be um so i think the other things i thought about were be ambitious um you can achieve a lot if you're creative and you think about um, what it is you want to do um don't accept what's gone before um so i am one of my tricks is that if someone tells me you can't do something, I that's a challenge and I want to go and look at why. And um, so always asking why, always getting to the bottom of you because you'll have regulations thrown at you. People say that it's not allowed. You can't do this. And there's the infamous they said that they don't allow. And if you dig and dig and dig and find out who that they was, then you'll find that actually the reason something was said in the first place came from a different need or a different desire and actually you've got much more flexibility than you might expect so a bit of digging around regulations and, and, and I would recommend that as well hold on to your vision what is it you want to do and why and and, and just don't let go of that um team yeah that was the other thing that came through to me um we had a team that had all done different things had a different set of skills um and we had to work together and we couldn't have done it without teamwork and without recognizing everybody's individual skill sets and, and pulling together. So um, I learned a huge amount on that project, had a lot of fun. And um, it's a nice place to be able to say that my initials are in the foundations and I've been in every bit of that building, you know, from the foundations right onto the roof. Um, I've been in every nook and cranny and it's fantastic and it's a, it is a real privilege to work on a project like that so um i envy you the chance to do it yeah it sounds very rewarding that's great you've you've described as a, a a number of different roles and types of roles what what have you learned about leading and developing people across these different roles so th this is one of those questions that you can only answer um with hindsight and um i think that you have to start with knowing yourself first and until you realize that you're probably not doing everything you can and it's not as simple as it sounds so i think i've probably having started out as a scientist um always had a good understanding of my own skill set and the things that i can do i've had a you know <laughs> a number of different um, posts where i've learned new things so i've always you've know, been collecting skills if you like um, as i went along i've also realized that i've probably been quite clear at various times about what i couldn't do and i just parked that i didn't i wasn't interested in exploring why um and, and that's, you know, when you look back, you think that's quite interesting. So, so in various posts along the way, I've had, I've collected a set of technical skills. And I think then I've been able to develop as a technical leader, where you have authority from what you can do, and the approach that you've taken and how you've done it, and, and the ideas that you have for developing them. And then as you do that, you start to build up a set of management skills. And from that, you have emergent um, leadership skills. So one of the bits of advice that I was given um, very early on was that if you want to make the move from management to leadership, 
leadership isn't just about doing more management. And again, it's one of those insights that you think, yeah, that's obvious. But until somebody says that to you and you go away and think about it, you probably do think it is just about doing a bit more or doing what you've always done, but at a higher level in the organisation. And it, and it's not at all. So SMBTS was probably the first job I had um, where I had some positional authority. Um, but my job required me to influence people. And that was something that I hadn't really done consciously before. Um, but when I've been developing teams, I, I think that... Um, you know, again, light bulb moment was being able to do some experiential learning and finding out about myself and um, using MBTI as a tool. So I, I know there's various um, thoughts on on the validity of that now, um, but for me, it was it, what it really helped me to do was to understand myself and and to be able to go, yeah, yeah, I'm like that. Yeah, tick that works for me, uh, and 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 have some new insights into that. But also, the big realization for me was or everyone else doesn't see the world the way that I see it you're kidding (laughs) everyone else doesn't hear a bit of information and think that's what it means that the same bit of information means totally different things to everybody around the table they'll interpret it in a different way they'll act on it in a different way and they'll think the next thing to do is something different again that that was a light bulb moment for me so learning that before you can leap to what am I going to do about this the you know as a scientist if I want to do this I have to do that I have to understand what it means for other people and then I have have to if I want to make my team work to the best of its ability understand how we join all of that together and get somewhere with it and and as somebody who's come up um, through my career as being a bit of a doer that sometimes actually it's not me who's going to do anything it's other people and I have to be comfortable with that and allow that to happen in the best way possible um, so that that is yes influencing I think learning that you can do that by supporting people by understanding them by helping them to understand themselves but you can't get there until you understand that about yourself um, first so there's a classic MBTI exercise where you're you're sorted according to your to your traits and you're put in different rooms and you're asked to look at a shampoo pain bottle and describe what you see I don't know if you've ever done it but I highly recommend it because the two different groups do it in such a different way and you're looking at each other going what (laughs) so um so I I remember that quite a lot when I'm struggling to think about why people have reacted to something that I think is very clear in a different way um so I've learned that as a leader I think what I can do is help with vision and clarity and allowing people to have something concrete in the confusion. If I am good at holding different aspects of change and other people aren't, then that is something that I can as a leader help with about saying it is okay for it to be a bit fuzzy at the moment or for it not to be clear. We will be able to work through this. You have a role to play and it's this and you're going to help develop the vision or, or get us to somewhere because you know, this is all going to join together. I promise you it's going. So sometimes it's being uh, being okay with risk um, in a way that other people might not be. Um, definitely giving people confidence that you've got their back, they've got the autonomy to act, but there's somewhere that they can go if, if they have difficulties uh, or problems. I've learned that values are really important to me, that why we're doing something matters a lot. And I think that means something with teams as well, that they understand uh, that your your motivations for doing something and, and it, 
ties back to having a vision. Um, Is there a bit of advice, uh, both with regards to life and to your work? Is there a bit of advice that you'd like to give your younger self? Oh, yeah, good question. Um, I'm a really impatient person. <laughs> so <laughs> um, I guess my advice would be just to like, um, and I'm, I'm a... I grew up in Liverpool, so I can say this would be to calm down. <laughs> calm down. <laughs> it will come. Things will happen. Don't always be in a rush. I think I would tell myself to focus on my strengths and not my weaknesses, because I think for a long time that probably did get in the way, thinking too much about what I couldn't do, not having the courage to explore that and do something about it, but just accepting it, and, and, and maybe that that helped me held me back a little bit or, or made me feel less confident in what I could do I would say um enjoy more and worry less um you know have more fun so one of the things that I the SMBTS job and the job that I'm in now there's a lot of fun um, and that really makes a difference as well you know have it, enjoying being at work is really important um I think the other thing is um don't be afraid to be yourself you know because you there is an an awful lot isn't there in there um you 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 have to see somebody who's like you in a leadership role in order to feel that it's something that you can achieve and I do feel I've gone through very specific in my times in my life where I have tried to make myself behave in a way that I think people want to see or um you know even maybe even the way that I've dressed I've tried to fit into a, a, a role model that I've seen so I think role models are really important um and if they're not there then don't worry about it so much you know fill that gap yourself rather than looking you know if it's not there it, it, it's it can't happen uh yeah don't be afraid to feel yourself is probably the most important thing I would I would say back to myself they sound like a good team of mantras to have on any wall <laughs> I think have you got, is there a particular role model that stands out to you? Um, so I've had a boss who said to me that I was um, tenacious, uh, which I wasn't sure whether to take as a compliment at the time, but but I do now because I think that that, um, that plays to me, that plays back to my values. This is worth doing, so I'm going to do it the right way and I'm going to do it well because I think that's where that comment came from. That's how I'm going to take that comment. That's where it came from. It was about I wasn't going to let go of something because I really believed it was the right thing to do and it got us to a, a good place. So so. So that was good, I think. Um, that's great. So we've been we've asked everybody um, this final lighthearted question, and we've got a kind of half a cast for Les Miserables, and we've got <laughs> people running off to Alaska um, to to live in a wooden hut. So what would in another life what what would you have been, or what would you have liked to have tried in your career? Firstly, you don't need to worry. I'm not singing. Um, I. This is a, another great question. So, um, in my own way, I I really like the opportunity to be creative, but I'm not a painter or and I'm not an artist. I'm not a musician. I like to be creative with words and ideas, um, and so I thought, you know, I've worked in the public sector all my life, so it would be good to try something completely different. And I think I would. I like influencing people. I like to have the, the idea that I've been involved in change. And we've been talking a lot about changing behaviours um, 
in, in my job and, and how, how do we do that? And so I've decided, I think I'm going to go and off and be a creative in an advertising agency and get to play with technology and uh, new ideas and, and, and comedy as well. I think um, humour get, and getting messages across is, is going to be fun. So I'll join the gang and advertise all of the uh, the new <laughs> ventures. And the, the next performer of, of Les Mis, I'll, I'll be on the advertising team. Oh, that sounds brilliant. Yeah, Jason would like any promoter that he can get. <laughs> <laughs> oh thank you so much for your time and we must be so busy at the moment thanks yeah, busy. Yep, yep. 